0: Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. I don't. I don't know why all the city on the hill pastors all have uh, hair, a lot of hair, and facial hair except me. I'm like the anti-pastor or something, uh, anti-coa pastor, or the before-after or after, um, of the hair club for men. I don't know which one, but um, it's good to be with you. It's good to to uh, come. I, I think it's probably been a a year or more, a year and a half since I've actually preached uh, here and it's so great to see familiar faces that I know and love but also see see new folks that uh, have come and to, uh, I meet with Stephen regularly and hear about um, what the Lord's doing here so it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things I think is just to see um, how the Lord has just multiplied churches around the city and, um, and, and neighborhood churches that are reaching local people. And so uh, thanks for having me today. We are actually, uh, the text was read, but we're actually going uh, chapter 8, verse 12 through uh, 59. So I didn't have that read um, because it's, it's around six or eight minutes to read the whole thing through. I, I wanted to get us oriented to it. Um, and so that that first part uh, through verse 30 orients us. And, now we're, uh, and then we'll walk through some of the rest of it. But um, so, so warm up your Bible or keep your app open because we're going to be moving a lot. Uh, typically, when you take a large text like this, especially one with as many incredible sort of truths in it and some like just... I'm, I'm talking like coffee cup, T-shirt scriptures that are in there. Uh, you would, you'd want to like slow down and, and take it verse by verse. But uh, because of our time constraints today, uh, we're going to move through it quickly. It could easily turn into like a three or four week series. But the, the benefit of doing it as one unit is that it is actually one conversation. This is one interaction. So if you break it up, you end up kind of losing some of that momentum that this text actually has. So the text is an argument that goes back and forth between the the Pharisees and uh, Jesus. And it isn't just out anywhere. It is in the temple courts. And it is not just during any time. It is during the uh, Feast of of Tabernacle or Feast of Booths, as we've heard from uh, looking back at John chapter 7 in the last few weeks. And this uh, is an argument. This is, uh, which, I mean, it's a very t- kind of uh, typical rabbinical model of, of um, you know, sort of not just dealing with facts, but honestly making some accusations towards each other. Uh, Jesus doesn't enter it quite like the Pharisees do, but uh, the statement, Jesus, you can kind of see it as Jesus makes statements, the Pharisees make accusations, and Jesus makes responses. That's basically what happens. Through this entire passage, um, and it's all playing out in the temple courts in front of thousands or tens of thousands of people. So Jesus begin, or Jesus is accused by the Pharisees. Just listen through this passage. What they accuse him of? He's a false witness, an illegitimate son, a liar, a Samaritan, demon possessed, arrogant, self glorifying, and. Then they just try to stone him. They're like, okay, we've, we've called you all the names. Now we're just going to kill you. Uh, in response, Jesus says, they have no knowledge of God. They are worldly, not heavenly. They are not keeping the law. They are not children of Abraham. They are, in fact, children of Satan. That's, I mean, from Jesus, that's, that's a pretty, pretty harsh blow. As a result, he says, they are liars, murderers, and slaves to sin. So you can see this whole conversation just going really well, um, <laughs> but Jesus the 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 tr- the truth here is it's not really about like arguing about simple ideas. What this passage presents, Jesus is trying to present, and the Pharisees keep pushing back on him. Is he's trying to present not just truth, but trying to present himself as as like the truth as, as ultimate reality. And one of the things that we see happen is this goes back and forth through this passage um, around statements and then uh, refutation of those statements. And then uh, to summarize what we see here, and I think this kind of summarizes the, what, what the whole passage says, that Jesus ultimately brings abundant life in the face of death. Jesus brings ultimate life in the face, abundant life in the face of death. One assumption Jesus is making with every statement that he's making is that you and I both want and need real life. We all need freedom. We are all looking for, longing for, living for uh, abundant life. If there is fullness of life out there, if there is happiness or peace or joy or um, just abundant life, we want it. There's not a person in here that's making decisions about life going, you know, I just want to really minimize my happiness. Just really shooting for a low bar. No, every decision we make from our relationships to our work, to how we spend our money and our time, uh, are oriented around this idea that there is this life out there, right? That, that, that we long for, that's, that we're driven towards. And Jesus recognized that in his listeners, but he also recognizes it uh, for us today. And the beauty is that, and I had them end at verse 30 because it's such a great statement. And it said, many believed him or really many believed in him. So what what that's telling us is that people listened to him making these statements and they believed. They didn't just believe information he was sharing, they believed in him. And he was making statements about himself. Thus, the idea that Jesus is bringing us abundant life in the face of death. We see this in three contrasts in this passage. Uh, The first is life and Uh, light and darkness, freedom, slavery, truth, lies, and then one truth at the end about Jesus being ultimate reality. So let's just walk through these. The first statement, and he begins right at the very beginning, is basically saying Jesus is light in the darkness. Jesus is light in the darkness. Now, if we don't understand the context, and again, we we wouldn't if we were reading and we didn't know like Jewish history, this was the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The Feast of Booths. And <clears throat> during this one night, they would bring four large uh, torches into the temple courts and they would, they would be uh, you know lifted up. I think it was like something like 65 gallons of oil in each of them were lifted up and put up on top of these huge columns and they were lit up, right? This was part of the festival and the people would stay basically celebrating, worshiping all night long as part of that. So you can imagine what this looked like for people who had no public lighting, right? No street lights, no headlights on, on their cars or, or carriages. There, was no, there were no lights. And then to be in a space in the middle of the night that was completely lit up. This festival was to remind them that God had brought them out of Egypt being led at night by a pillar of fire, but that also the God that they follow is the God who said, let there be light. He is the creator God who made light. And it's in this context that Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. You have no idea. It's hard for us to even fathom how unbelievably shocking that would have been for for him to say in that context. The closest analogy I I could come up with, and I shared this a few weeks ago with uh, with Brookline, but... Imagine it's the 4th of July in Boston, right? Like the huge festival, hundreds of thousands of people, we're eating, we're celebrating, we're <clears throat> hanging out, everybody's on Storo, and then that night, what happens? Like the, the symphony comes on or pops, and then the, um, the, the sky gets lit up with this amazing fireworks show. And you can just imagine the, that that's happening and it ends and everybody's cheering, and then it kind of dies down, and then this voice comes on. And it's very confident and very reassuring and it says, I am the light of the world. If anyone believes in me, will not walk in darkness, but have life, abundant life, real life. Think about how weird that would be in that moment, right? We had just seen the sky lit up. We had seen the, you know, the city lit up, the Charles lit up. And now a guy comes on and says, I'm the light of the world. There'd probably be some laughter, some snickering, But in that context, they weren't even just gathering around like a a cultural event. They were gathering around worshiping their God, who is light. And the only one who gets to say he's light is God. And so right off the bat, Jesus begins trying on one hand, establishing himself as God in human form by making these I am statements through the Gospel of John. There's seven signs in the Gospel of John, literally it'll say, and this was a sign that Jesus did this sign. There's seven of those. And there's seven I am statements, uh, that lead up to I am the true vine in John 15. But he says, I am the bread of life. This week we're saying I am the light of the world. He also says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is not simply trying to come to teach us the way or show us the way or point to the way. He is trying to bring people to himself. He's, he's elevating himself, which is what he's accused of later. So, you know, you're kind of glorifying yourself. And in a sense, it's not glorifying yourself if you're speaking truth, right? Like uh, about yourself, but he ultimately says the father is the one who glorifies him. But what does he mean by light here? In that context, it would have been understood in several ways that light, uh, light brings life. We all know that. They knew that. If you don't believe that, take, take a houseplant and stick it in a closet and see how it does, right? Or for that matter, try to survive winter here. Um, <laughs> uh, light symbolizes truth, purity, and goodness. We use the phrase, come into the light, right? Or the lights went on. What does that mean? It means that the, the, the reality became clear, that um, truth became clear. Light also brings, uh, makes things clearer. Back before we had iPhones, we had these things called flashlights, and when you were in the dark at night, you would turn it on to light sort of your path. So it <clears throat> makes things clearer. Light also provides security. well let businesses and homes are less likely to be burglarized. Light brings healing. Our bodies are quite literally made to produce vitamin D, which is essential to life by being in the sunlight, right? Like we're so designed for light. And then uh, light also brings joy. As I said, daylight savings time here, I, I've been here for 15 years. I have never had one person say, I'm so excited for daylight savings time to end this year. I love it when it's pitch dark at 4.30 and the sun doesn't come up till 7.30, right? Like that's the best time of the year, right? No, we're all like, okay, when can I go to Florida over the next three months at some point, right? When can I get some sunshine? Um, I love, uh, actually, uh, the comedian Trevor Noah says he blames the British cruel attempt to colonize other nations on the weather. He said this, bad weather makes you a bad person. There's no one from a tropical climate who's trying to take over the world. You don't ever hear stories of Caribbean conquerors. There's no Troy the Terrible from Trinidad. If you're living in a beautiful paradise, there's no need to leave. (laughs) So when Jesus says he's light of the world, he's, he's not simply saying, I'm here to shine some light. He's saying, I am the light and <clears throat> I am the only light. He isn't a light. Notice he doesn't say, I am a light. I am the light for the entire world. <clears throat> and along with this text and this phrase, he's, he's affirming a, a fundamental reality for us, and that is that darkness reigns. Darkness reigns in our world as a... As, uh, Steven mentioned a few moments ago, all you gotta do is turn on the evening news and there's darkness out there, right? But, but there's also darkness in here, right? There's parts of our hearts and our lives that we, we, if you're honest with yourself, you just sense a darkness. You feel a pull to do something. You've had something happen to you that feels dark um, and you don't like sharing it with people. Darkness is representative of, of the world, our understanding and our propensity for evil. And e- but evil is not just evil because it hurts someone else. That's our, our, our culture's kind of morality right now. As long as you don't hurt someone else, it's moral and good. Like, that's not really true. You can do plenty of things to yourself that hurt yourself. And that's evil. You can get caught up in um, many sins that are not against other people that, are, um, that hurt you. In fact, sin is, sin is act, uh, sin is actually sin because it's inherently against God. All of it whether I hurt someone else or whether I hurt myself, it's wrong because it's ultimately against God's plan, God's will and God's purpose. Some of you long to experience light in your life. There's areas of your heart, your history, your current circumstances right now that you love, that you sense a darkness there and you would long to bring that into the light. You would long to see light transform that. Jesus is saying, I am the light come to me the, the language here of of um come to me or follow me is is a language of apprenticeship it's a language of discipleship it is saying i i want to be with jesus not simply i want to follow some of jesus's teachings i want to he's got some good wisdom that i can put into practice that'll help me live in the light it is he is the light the closer you are to jesus the closer you are to the light the more light in you and the more light you will see in your life around you. As you follow Jesus, it's an invitation to experience him, walk with him, learn from him and experience transformation with him. So Jesus says, I am the light in the darkness. But secondly, here we see Jesus is freedom for the captive or freedom for the slave. The second contrast is connected to the first one, but the analogy of freedom Jesus introduces here <clears throat> is connected to or contrasted with the idea of slavery or bondage. Um, now, I know the idea of telling uh, people in Boston, you're actually in bondage, goes over like a lead brick, right? No, we are free. We, we, I mean, we, we are one state away from the live free or die, right? Uh, but I think Bostonians would say, no, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. I can do however I want. And it's not saying that you don't have any volition. It's not saying you don't have any choice. It is simply saying that your choices are constrained by something deeper. Your choices are ultimately constrained by something, um, the darkness, if you will, from the previous section. Our behavioral patterns, our emotional responses, our habits, if you look at them closely, there seem to be things we can't quite seem to get set free from, right? Ways of, ways of thinking. That thing you keep doing that you're like, I don't, know, I don't know why I keep doing that. I don't even really want to do that thing. But I keep doing it. C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. If you doubt it, if you doubt me, if you and I've never had anyone take me up on this experiment, but if you doubt me, just simple experiment. Tomorrow morning, get up and just, don't sin. So the, just keeping it very simple, love God. That's chief commandment, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Go through your day loving God. Secondly, love everyone you meet and see and, and are around like you love yourself. Oh, and don't have any bad thoughts or say bad words. Got it? Let me know how that goes. I'm, I'm betting you don't make it to the T. <laughs> This is the darkness that Jesus is talking about. It's the bondage that that holds human beings from being able to live with God and live fully for God. And we, and and if you look at our culture today, it. it we would think we, we have this idea of, of advancement, and I'm not saying we aren't advancing as human beings, but there's, um, there's this illusion that we're actually, IQs are going up. That's been thoroughly debunked, by the way. Um, there's ideas that we are, as humanity, getting better. Just turn on the news. Really? Are we sure about that? Um, but we have more access to more information and more research on, on how to live a good life today. We have more access to mental health therapy than any time in human history in any culture on earth, right? We have, theoretically, we have more access to other people because we now have people on our phones, right? Like, I, I mean, I know this is crazy to think about, but, you know, 30 years ago, you couldn't text someone, right? You 30 years ago, you had to call them and hope they were home unless they had a car phone or one of those giant brick cell phones, right? We are in a culture that theoretically we should have more healthy connections, more community, more good relationships than anyone in human history. We have more access to other people than anyone ever has. And yet we're depressed, lonely, and full of anxiety. There's something inherently, this see the problem is we think this out here will fix this in here. But the problem is this in here is broken by sin and nothing out there can ultimately, no behavior, no ideas, no, can, nothing we try can actually fix that. Listen to how Jesus contrasts freedom with, um, with him and slavery to sin. Verse 31 um, through 36, he says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now the word abide there, John loves this word more than anyone else in the New Testament. Shows up over 30 times in the gospel of John. And this word, it's a weird word. We don't use it much in our culture, but it is, it means to remain or to make your home with or to dwell with. So Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, that is my truth, the truth that I have given you in me uh, as the living word. You are my disciple and um, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. So being in Christ's word, what he's saying, dwelling with him is the way to freedom. Why? Because he alone has the power to undo that, that bondage that holds all of us in our hearts. They answered him. Verse 33, we are... Offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Ironically, Israel's been enslaved by lots of people over the year and we're currently being occupied by the Roman Empire. They were not free. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them truly, truly. By the way, if your mama repeated something twice to you, what what was the point? You better listen. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying, this is like really, really true. This is truthy truth, right? (laughs) Truth that you need to get. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In other words, the slave does not have the privileges of a son, a slave can be cast out. But verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed is religious leaders did not get it. They thought they were free, just like our culture, just like today. We think we're experiencing freedom, but just be honest for just a second and look around. Do you know anyone in your entire circle who you would say, "I man, she is as free as anyone I've ever met, so free. He is living in freedom, man, just so free. No. We, we, have the, we have equated volition, the ability to make decisions, with freedom. That's not the case. And, and weirdly, our culture has started defining freedom as freedom to do anything, anyway, anyhow. That's not actually freedom. That's bondage. And it's a wonder why young adults are frozen with opportunities, right? Don't know which job I should take because there's so many. I don't know what field I should take because there are so many there. I don't know who I should date because there are so many. We're being paralyzed by our own freedom rather than understanding that it's not, it's like marriage. Um, The constraints of marriage bring freedom. I know that sounds crazy, but the constraints of marriage allow you to enjoy something you cannot have with all the freedom in the world otherwise. You cannot enjoy the intimacy and depth and oneness of soul with another human being while you are also trying to enjoy that with anyone else. So when God limits freedom, our choices, he's not trying to take something from us, he's helping us to enjoy something as a gift more fully. Listen, I'll say this, freedom in Christ is real. I became a Christian my freshman year in college and I am more free today than I've ever been in my life. I am more free, and here's the thing, I am more free to be me, be who I was created to be, because I don't have the, the, the constraints have, of sin have slowly, I'm still a sinner, don't get me wrong, but much of the constraints of sin, the darkness, the bondage that I've had in my life has been stripped away. It's being stripped away, it will be stripped away. He's promises that, and I'm experiencing more freedom now in many ways than I ever have. So Jesus is freedom for the captive. He's also thirdly here. The third contrast is Jesus' truth in a world of lies. Verses 43 through 47, look what he says. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Fear he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever's of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Uh, this I can go a long time on just this one, but I, I wanna uh, commend a book to you that uh, I think probably captures this and explains this way better than I am going to today. Um, a book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. Live No Lies. I it's in my top 10 best books I've read in the last 20 years. Like it it is that good. Extremely well written. If you look it up on Amazon it's like 4.8 stars with 2000 reviews or something. So it's well worth your time. I encourage you to pick that up. Um and I use a little bit of his material here but Um, In Boston, I know we've graduated past the idea the devil is real, right? We all have, uh, we're all smart, we're all capable. Our city is well beyond the idea of a little, you know, pointy eared guy with a pointy tail running around with, you know, pitchfork getting people or whatever. Like, it's just ridiculous. Well, number one, that's not actually the devil Jesus is talking about. That's some weird cultural sort of church history art creation the devil that Jesus talks about is very different. The devil Jesus is talking about and holds to is, a, is a, a real being, a fallen angel, perhaps the most powerful being in the universe outside of God. And he is, last week I highlighted with my congregation that um, he's referred to as the accuser and there's lots of names for him in the New Testament, but, but one that I've really kind of honed in on recently that it's not in the New Testament, but I think you could really, uh, it captures who, his essence. He is the anti-creator the anti-creator, if you will. If, if you remember the Dark Knight Rises, the Joker, um, he's one of the best pictures of the devil in, in the world, uh, in, in movies that I've seen. If you remember him, he, di- he didn't want money. He wasn't even motivated by power. He didn't want power over people. He didn't want people to worship him or control people. What, did he, what does it say? He just wanted to watch the world burn. That's the devil. That's a little scarier too than some guy running around with a pitchfork, isn't it? That he's trying to undo God's creation. He's trying to destroy God's good creation. And by the way, you and I as human beings are made in the image of God. And if he can destroy us, that's the closest thing he'll ever get to destroying God. C.S. Lewis also said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. He deals with us, he approaches us, not externally with like, hey, here's the sin over here. He comes at us with ideas. I'm going to throw, it should be up on the screen, but some concepts that that frame this out. <clears throat> Jesus said, "I'll set you. The truth shall set you free." What is truth? This is the most simple definition of truth is reality. What is reality? Reality is what you run into when you're wrong, when you when you don't assess something rightly, but you run into it. Lies are the the, the space the enemy works, and that is unreality. And then the ideas you and I have are assumptions about realities, or working theories about life, or most importantly, the ones we value the most are how to have a good life. What is the good life? This is where the enemy comes. And listen, this, is, this was John Mark Hummer's stuff. And so I, I give him total credit for this. And one of his quotes that I, I, I saw him, uh, he wrote that stuck with me. He says, when the serpent came to the woman in the garden, he did not come with a stick or a sword, but with an idea. Right now in your mind, And in your heart, you are believing ideas that are not true. They are unreality. And you may not yet be running into reality, but you will run into reality, as Jesus is saying. And the enemy is subtle and sneaky, and he knows your weakness of your own flesh. And so he knows what ideas to tempt you with. The devil's strategy, Comer said, is deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a society, sinful society. <clears throat> Again, I wish I had more time to unpack that one. <laughs> but this is part of Jesus's role as a teacher. He was coming to unpack this for us. It's saying just as, um, just as uh, deceitful ideas were entered into humanity, something else needs to enter into humanity, light freedom, truth. And he's saying, I am that. Not simply I'm gonna bring it, it's not a package. I'm not handing off a package to you. I am light, freedom and truth. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that brings us to the final uh, point here is uh, truth is that Jesus is absolute reality. I'll read this last uh, section and comment on it briefly. You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, this sounds like, okay, so he's just saying he's really eternal, he's really old, right? Well, that phrase, I am, would have triggered all of the Jewish people there. Because in the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses is like, who are you? I got to tell these people who you are. He goes, tell them I am. Which is translated Yahweh or Jehovah. And in your Bibles, when you look at your Bible, it is a capital L and then small cap O-R-D. Sometimes it's just capital L lowercase O-R-D, but when it's capital L and small caps, O-R-D, that is referring to Yahweh or Jehovah or I am. Now, what does it mean that Jesus was saying I am? He was saying, I'm not simply light. I'm not simply truth. I'm not simply freedom. He's saying, I am ultimate reality. I am the God of light. I am the God that established truth. Truth is truth because I made it truth. I have freedom because I alone have power over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus was establishing himself to say, there is nothing in this entire universe that you need to orient your life around more than ultimate reality. And and he he over and over again says to the Pharisees here, you will either adjust yourself to live by ultimate reality or you will pay the penalty of not and you will fall prey to all of the deceptive ideas of the enemy. Jesus, Jesus is light and freedom and truth because he is ultimate reality. And this is one of the reasons why our name of our church, churches network is City on a hill because Matthew 5, 14, Jesus doesn't say, I'm the light of the world. He actually says, you guys are. Now, that's that's a pretty big weight, right? And none of us can bear that by ourselves. But somehow what happens is as Jesus lives in you and I, and together as a community, we live that out, we bring light and freedom and truth and hope to those around us. That's our hope, that's our identity. And today, maybe Jesus, you don't know this freedom, truth, and reality that Jesus is offering. And that invitation is for you today if you're not a Christian to experience that. It's really not, it's weird, it's not that hard, but it is coming to terms with Jesus that he is the one who died on the cross to take your place, gave his life for you to, to walk, come into the light, gave his life for you to come into freedom. He gave his life for you to come and experience truth, And he gave his life as ultimate reality, the gift from God for you. And you can experience that. But if you're a Christian, it's not that you just flip a switch. Now you got light and freedom and truth. That will be a struggle the rest of your life to live into that more and more and more. And so today I would bet that some of you are struggling with deceptive ideas in your own heart, areas of darkness in your own soul, areas that you are are in bondage. And you can bring that to Jesus today too. Let's pray.